Miss our children to Children's Church. If they're not already out, you guys, um, you're free to go. Have a good time. We'll see you in an hour, all right? Buckle up, grab your Bible, Galatians chapter 2. We were on a journey, if you're brand new with us in this series. Uh, we're walking through the book of Galatians. This is series 4. If you've missed the first three, they're all online. You can go uh, get caught up of where we're at. Galatians chapter 2, uh, Paul's really going to start showing us kind of the confrontation that we see out of um, Acts 15, when you, when you read the Bible, you know, we read the Bible as one text. It's not just a bunch of chopped up stories. It's telling one story about the revelation and glory of Jesus. And so we, we read the Bible and we, we connect Acts 15 to what's happening in Galatians 2. The Apostle Paul is writing to us and he starts out in the very beginning. He tells us who he is and he tells us that he's been called by God to preach to the Gentiles. And he, and he tells us about some issues that were going on in Galatia, and he, he connects us to the reality that, that there were people in Galatia who came in after he planted the church, and they came in, and, and they were trying to undo everything that he had established. We called these people, and we one, we called them Judaizers. These Judaizers had come in, and Paul had preached the gospel that Jesus Christ, the perfect righteous, holy son of God, born of a virgin and born under the law to redeem those under the law. He set forth God's plan, lived the life you couldn't live, died the death you should have died. He was buried on the third day he rose again. He's alive and well. He spent several days on our earth and then ascends to the Father. He says, Jesus paid your debt and in Christ alone your salvation is sealed. The Judaizers came in and said, well, we know what the Apostle Paul said. We know he's preaching this gospel of grace, but you must also be circumcised. And if you're unfamiliar with circumcision, that is a Jewish rite in which the males partook of. And it would, it would be a, a painful thing, especially in the day before um, anesthesia. Um, it would have been a, a very painful experience, but it was something that the Jewish males walked through. And by it was a sign given to them under the law that it would be a sign of their covenant. So the Judaizers are saying, wait a minute. You can't just come in and accept Jesus and that be it. Because you and I sometimes struggle with how easy it is to get salvation. I mean, the, the God of wonder, the God of all things is saying, trust in my son Jesus as your salvation. And you're forever sealed. So sometimes we struggle with that. We think that we have to work or we have to do something else. And yet, God all the while has told us that Christ plus nothing equals salvation. God's not interested in your ability to outserve somebody. He's not interested in your ability to tithe. He's not interested in your church attendance. Maybe you remember the day when the church used to give out attendance awards for those who had made the most Sundays. Uh, maybe you remember those days. And, and I don't care how many awards you have on your wall. Jesus plus nothing is good for your salvation. Isn't that good news this morning? Because listen, if you could work your way to salvation, if you could work your way to salvation, somebody could outwork you. If you could tithe your way to salvation, oh, if it was just a dollar amount, and even if it was on the bell curve, and some of us that didn't have it, oh, you, you would be all right because you could give the money, but, but somebody can always outgive you. See, somebody's always prettier, and somebody's always smarter, and somebody's always wiser, and somebody's always something else better than you. And so 
Jesus came in and he set the playing field level because he said, I'm enough. I'm enough for you today. Me plus nothing is sufficient for your salvation. The Judaizers were frustrated because all of the law had been written and they knew the law and they were they're all really good at the Jewish rite and they, they knew all of this and so they said, wait a minute, it's not just Jesus, it's us plus Jesus. You gotta, you gotta be circumcised and you gotta convert to Judaism before you can be saved. And the Apostle Paul is going to talk straight to that in Galatians chapter 2. He picks up in verse 1, he says, And after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. And I went up because of a revelation set before them, though previously before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of the false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom, that was to have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, for them we did not yield in submission, not even for a moment, so that the gospel, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no sense to me. God shows no partiality. Those I say have been entrusted, those I say who have been influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry, for he who worked through Peter, though his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed pillars, they perceived the grace that was given to me. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. That we should go to the Gentiles. They are the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, in verse 11, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically among with him. So even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. And when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Verse 15 says, We ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because the works of the law, no one will be justified. Verse 17 says, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ a servant of sin? He says, Certainly not, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. 
I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ that lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Father, we pray that you would be high and lifted up this morning. Lord, that you would bless the reading of your word. And we know there's power in your word. That as we read about the conflict in Jerusalem and then the conflict that, that Paul had with Peter, and we, we realize that all of that boils down to you being gracious enough to save us, to justify us, to, to call us your own. God, may we be in all of who you are. Father, may we experience you fresh and anew. We pray it in the name of Christ. And all God's people said, amen. The Apostle Paul, he, he comes in and, and he's, he's, he's referencing back to Acts 15. We don't have time to read Acts 15 this morning, but it's a great read. I encourage you to go back to Acts 15 and figure out the backstory of what's going on. But, but there's, there's issues going around because the Judaizers were making so much noise that they're they're causing rifts in the church. They're causing uh, they're causing issues in the church, and so so he comes forth, and the apostle Paul begins to fight for Christian liberty. He's fighting for for what Jesus had commanded, and he he makes his stand, and he, and he has to go up to Jerusalem because he has to fight for what he believes is true. He has to he has to fight for what he believes is right. And I didn't just go up there and, and not have a clue what he's doing. God gave him revelation because when God calls you to a task, God's going to prepare you for the task. If God calls you to go knock on your neighbor's door and tell them about Jesus, when you go and you knock on the door, God will give you words you didn't know you had. God will give you Bible verses that you didn't know you had in your cognitive memory. He will he will press things, you will say things you didn't know you could say, there have been times, my friend, when I've quoted Scripture and I'm like, I didn't even know I knew that one. I didn't even know I knew that one. And I, I think it was true. Do you know? So God gave him revelation. He gave him words to say. Now, it wasn't just any, any revelation. It wasn't the, the, the end of the book revelation. He gives him a, a vision and he gives him he gives them ideology of what this thing is supposed to be like. And so what was the revelation? Paul goes to Jerusalem to fight for the revelation that Jesus is the sole source of salvation. That Jesus alone is it. Jesus alone is good for your salvation. It's not how much you work. It's not the nice things that you have. It's all about Jesus. Look at your neighbor this morning and tell them it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So he goes and, and he reveals to them that Jesus is the source of our salvation. But then he's going to tell them that Jesus is the sole source of our freedom as well. That Jesus is the sole source of our, our freedom. That he alone, and he, I love it, he takes Titus with him. He takes a Gentile, uncircumcised brother with him. And I just imagine Paul sitting with all these church leaders in Jerusalem. And they're like, all right, who's going to tell Titus he's got to be circumcised? Who's going to tell this grown man? This grown man who loves Jesus, that he's got a surgery coming up. He gives the argument that, that Jesus has, has broken down the chains. He's broken down the barriers that now the Gentiles are in it. And from an audience who is probably 100% Gentile, that's good news. 
You and I can now come into relationship with Jesus without having to vert to Judaism, without having conversion in our life. The only conversion we need is salvation in our soul that we can come experience Christ fresh and anew. But then he fights because he tells them that the truth has to be preserved. If ever there was a day that the church needed a backbone, it's today. If there's ever a day where the people of God need a backbone, it's today. I get so frustrated and flustered. I don't even watch TV preaching anymore. I just gave it up. Uh, because I get so frustrated, I'm yelling at the TV. It does nothing for my blood pressure. Because um, you got guys dancing around the stage and, and they're telling you about how God's going to give you millions of dollars if you'll just send him some seed money. And, and they're, they're using the bride of Christ for their own gain. And I get frustrated or they'll go into this um, health, wealth, prosperity, name it, claim it. Remember all the disciples died following Jesus. That's not healthy. It's not healthy. Um, re remember Jesus died not owning anything. Didn't even have a tomb to be buried in. You got a lot of issues if you're going health and wealth. The Bible doesn't speak that, right? And so he, he tells them that the truth has to be preserved. The church has to stand firm on the truth. We don't back down. When things come at us that are, are counter gospel, we stand up for what we believe in. We don't back down. But you're going to look at me and you're going to say, but Pastor Jeff, but the world is going to oppress us if we do that. Listen, there are some things it's worth being unpopular for. There are some truths that God has said out there that it's worth standing on. When I became a follower of Christ, things in my life changed drastically. We were in high school and, I, again, I didn't know anything about being a church member. I didn't know anything about being a gospel follower. All I knew was that Jesus had come into my heart and the things I used to do, I didn't want to do anymore. The words I used to say when I got mad, I didn't want to say anymore. Right? Things change. And one of the things that happened to us, and it wasn't anything I really expected, but it, it happened anyway, was we didn't, get, we didn't get invited to all the parties that were happening anymore. Because like, I didn't add Jesus to my life at salvation. He took over. Like, he wasn't an addition to who I was. He became the whole thing. And so Katie and I wouldn't get invited to these parties, and we wouldn't even know about them. Right? And one day I heard it, overheard it. I'm like, am I not invited? I wouldn't have went anyway, but I just, you know, would have loved the reason to tell them I can't go because I'm a believer. Um, and the guy goes, well, I wasn't going to invite you. Well, why not? Got offended. He said, well, I knew you were going to church and you wouldn't go. I sat by this guy in church. I remember being flabbergasted. I remember being flabbergasted that, that somehow this was, somehow this was Okay. We have to stand on what God has proclaimed as truth and don't back down. Don't back down. Sometimes being a, a co-heir to the gospel, which you're all, you are, sometimes it's going to place you in situations and circumstances that are difficult. But do you know God's not placed you anywhere that he can't succeed through you? It may not look like the victory you are looking for, but God's always faithful. Those moments that are tense that you're going to have to make a stand, God's there. You've got the favor of the Lord. And you know what I've realized? 
Those moments where I had to make stands on the gospel and refuse to back down, even when it was with my parents, even it was with my family, even when it was some of my closest friends. That were, those were difficult conversations. God always provided. God always provided. I've lost friends taking a stand for the gospel. God had new friends. I've, I've lost great relationships that I thought I had with people because we took stands. God's faithful. God's faithful. And when you make stands for Jesus, I promise you, you're a blessed person. I've never walked out of a situation not experiencing the Lord fresh and anew. So we hold on to the truth of the gospel. God gave Paul the boldness to stand against the opposition. The apostle Paul in front of the big boys, right? Did you find it irony that when you were a kid, you called this big church? But now that you're in big church, you just call it church? Minor opposite, minor thing I viewed this week. Um, he gave him the boldness to stand against the opposition. Paul goes, and remember, Paul's the youngest believer standing in the room. He said there were folks that walked with Jesus. And I know we all say, like, I walked with Jesus. No, these brothers actually walked physically with Jesus. And he goes up in there and he says, hang on, guys. Hang on. Pulls Titus in. He says, you're telling me that we're going to make Titus be circumcised? Titus has confessed Christ as Lord. We've seen the Holy Spirit come alive in his life. We've seen him develop in the disciplines of the Lord. We've seen him grow up. He's a, a co-heir of the gospel, but now we're going to tell him he's got to be circumcised? He says, certainly not. Certainly not. They walk away and, and they, they hold true to the gospel and they end up aiding the fight. He went in and he had boldness to stand. He resisted the fallacies. Listen, sometimes people that we put way above ourselves will say the wrong things. He resisted the temptation to be in all of the moment. He didn't look at the power players who were sitting in the room. He didn't look at the influencers who were sitting in the room. What he looked at was the gospel, and he held firm to it. So he resisted the fallacies. He didn't follow the influencers. He held to the gospel. Didn't matter what these guys were saying. Didn't matter what they were saying. He had the truth of Jesus, and he went into this conference, he went into this meeting, held firm, and what they saw was that the truth prevailed. What they saw was that the truth prevailed. So he goes on. This is an interesting text. We don't see this in Scripture a lot. This is interesting. He goes on, and the Apostle Paul continues, and then we get, we get down into chapter 2, and we see that that. Paul is going to have to oppose Peter. Now, we know Peter. Peter's the guy that walked with Jesus. He was kind of mouth-heavy. He began to run his mouth often before he listened to what the Lord Jesus was saying. Peter is a pillar in the church, and yet we see Paul correcting, pillar, correcting Peter. You know, no one is above reproach. No one is above correction. So we see him... We see him opposing him for the sake of the gospel. We understand no one is above correction. Listen, two right here, or B right here, this is something you might want to write down. Probably the smartest thing I've ever come up with. Keeping the truth of the gospel is more important than keeping peace. 
Can I say that again? Keeping the truth of the gospel is more important than keeping peace. Paul could have came up to Cephas and said, Hey, hey Cephas, we also call him Peter. Hey, Cephas, you're stepping here. And I don't think you should, real quietly. Or just left it alone and said, you know what? He walked with Jesus. I mean, he had the rooster crowing thing, but, but past that, he was a good dude. I'm just going to let it go. He could have said a lot of things. But when it comes to gospel matters, we never walk past a mistake. We never walk past an issue. We hold tight to the truth of the gospel. What the Apostle Paul shows us is that public sin must be rebuked publicly. Public sin must be rebuked publicly. Our confession must be as public as our transgression. So if I wrong someone in publicly, it doesn't do me well to go back to them in private and try to set that straight. No, I need to go back in public. If my transgression was in public, people need to see that my repentance is also public. You ever notice when you read the newspaper, for the 10% of you still reading the newspaper? You ever notice when the editorial column comes out in the very back of the papers where they put the retractions? You ever notice that? The very back of the paper where nobody actually gets to, that's where they put the corrections. For so many of us, we allow our offenses to be public and yet our repentance privately. And I'm not saying that your repentance doesn't need to happen before the Lord in private. It probably needs to start there. But don't let it end there. If you've made a public offense, you need to make a, a public repentance. You need to show that Christ is working through you. So the Apostle Paul calls out Cephas in public saying, Brother, when, when, when the guys before, before the guys of James got down here, you were eating bacon. I'm reading into the text here. You were eating bacon, sitting around having a good time, listening to the music of the Gentiles. Again, that's, that's called eisegetical. That's not very good. Right? Now they're saying, when the guys from James showed up, you reverted back. You went, you went back to being this Jewish superhero, and you're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. This, this would have set Cephas on fire. He just got called a hypocrite by the Apostle Paul. He just got called out. Like, if this was a movie, this would be tense. Like, I get secondhand awkwardness pretty bad. Um, when I'm around awkward situations, I just I don't know what to do with my hands. Like, I'm just awkward, even, in, even if it doesn't pertain to me. Like, if I'm just, like, if some awkward, I'm just, I don't know what to do. And, like, I'm reading this going, ooh, ooh. Being Cephas here is going to be a little awkward. He just got called out by Paul amongst Gentiles. But what we see is that the Apostle Paul places the importance not on correcting Cephas. He could have been like, hey, hey, I just correct, hey, Peter, who loved Jesus, just fixed him. I'm open nine to five, come on, right? He, he could have made it about him. But when we're stepping into a brother to help correct them, we don't make it about us. We don't make it about us. But sometimes correcting a brother is, is, is necessary. That we're called to it. He sees a brother at a step. And because the gospel is so important, not because the apostle Paul was making a name for himself. It wasn't because Paul was like, hey, I need to step up my stock here. Watch this. He never, he never said, it. hey, I'm on, they're going to write books about me. Y'all hang on. 
He wasn't about that. He saw that Peter had misstepped and the gospel was on the line. The importance of, of the message of Christ was on the line. So he stepped in and he says, brother, you, you've misstepped. You've misstepped. The gospel must be defended vigorously. The gospel must be defended vigorously. Was this awkward for Paul? Absolutely. This brother was a pillar. Like when, when Paul was gone for three years to, to educate himself, he knew who Cephas was. But the gospel was bigger. The gospel must be applied. You know, church, if all we do is sit around and talk about the gospel, oh, and the gospel is good news. God came to save sinners, of which I am the utmost. The gospel is good news, but if all we do is sit around and talk about the gospel and we never put it on, we're just beating a drum that we know nothing about. We're singing a song that we don't know the notes to. We're not doing anything but talking. The gospel, when Paul says, for I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. He's saying the gospel became applicable. I start living this thing out. They're not just words of Jesus anymore. They're words we live by. They're words we put on. Like a new coat, like a new jacket that will never take off. Oh, that we would catch what it means to urgently live for the gospel. So, so he, he opposes Cephas, and then he makes the declaration. So, so that little section there where he opposes Cephas, it's just kind of a bonus. It, it, it barely connects with the first and the latter, but the first and the latter go well together. So we talk about what the Judaizers said salvation was. It was a, a culmination of the people of God plus Judaism plus Jesus, right? And so now the Apostle Paul is going to get to how God saves sinners. He begins by telling them that we are justified. Oh, that's good news. That's, that's a great seminary word that you need to study. Oh, that you're justified. A great definition, a great working definition for us on justified kind of moving forward. Justified is not like I've heard the one that says, just as if I had never sinned. Well, that could work, um, but I heard Agent Rogers in a, in a, a Southern Baptist convention say it kind of like this way. Um, justified doesn't mean you were never guilty. So when we think of justified, I want you to think God has banged his gavel on your sin, in which we all had. We all had. He banged his gavel. You are guilty. You are guilty. The weight of your sin crushes you. You are a mess, you live in depravity, you're, you're just a horrible person. But Christ steps in and says, they're guilty, but I've paid their debt. I've paid their debt. Yes, yeah, they, their life's a mess. I'm going to clean it up. They're, they're struggling with holiness, but I'm holy. They're insufficient, but I am sufficient. So we, we see that we're, we're guilty, but we're set free. It's a gift through faith so that no man can boast. 
The, the God of the universe made it so easy. He said, the gospel for you is going to be free. You did nothing for it. You didn't work to it. You didn't try to it. You didn't impress people. The gospel is free. But church, may we never, ever forget that though the gift of God is free, it's not cheap. Though the gift of God is free, it's certainly not cheap. We need to understand that our works are meaningless. Some of you are trying, and you're exhausted. You're exhausted because you live this life. You're, you're trying to work to please the Lord. You're trying. You, you, you got up this morning. You got the whole family dress, which is just an undertaking. And you got breakfast, and you got up here, and you're here for Sunday school, and the pastor didn't have the coffee ready. It was just the whole morning has been a, a stressful morning for you because you're trying somehow to get God indebted to you, to get God to owe you a favor. God owes you nothing. He owes you nothing because our works are, are meaningless. Outward submission can never change your inward disposition. You don't need work on the outside. Like some of you this morning, I'm not, I'm not looking around. I don't want you to think I'm looking at you. Some of you this morning spent way more time working on the outward appearance for worship than you did on the inward affections of your heart that were going to lead you to worship. Spend more time getting the outside ready, right? You put the war paint on. You got your best clothes on. You make sure they were wrinkle-free-ish. You got the kids on. And how many times did you put shoes on your kid this morning? I think I'm up to 10. We spend more time in the outward than we ever do on the inward. Think if you spend an hour and a half getting ready for church this morning spiritually. And he tells them that, that God placed a substitute in your place. You're justified by grace. But then Jesus had to put a substitute in your place. It's, the idea of this is called substitutionary atonement. That none of us are worthy enough to die for our own salvation. None of us are good enough by means of our own salvation. So because we're not sufficient, because we're insufficient, because we're not holy, Jesus steps in and becomes our substitute. Remember Isaiah 53. Jesus became the subject of God's wrath so that you and I can be free. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus paid it all for you. Jesus did that which you couldn't do for yourself. He stepped in because you were insufficient. But Christ was and is sufficient for your salvation. You were sinful. But Christ was blameless. So he became our perfect substitute. And then he, he finishes this section in, in Galatians by telling us this is how we live going forward. What we see is that Christ did something for us that was so special, that was so unique, that we couldn't even fathom what they, what they heard coming in the law, what was prophesied. They never thought it was going to be as good as it was when it got here. What they experienced in the grace of Jesus transcended all that they knew beforehand. They're now free. They're now free, and not because of something they've done, but because of what Jesus had done for them. They now get to experience the grace of the Lord, and it's fresh, and it's new. 
Christ applied to our lives. He t- the Apostle Paul tells them we begin now because we're living in faith. So I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ that now lives in me. In the life I live in this flesh, I live in the Son of God, I live by faith in the Son of God. We, we begin by establishing that our steps are directed by our faith. Our steps are now, everything about us has, has changed. When the Apostle Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, he says, that old, old you is dead. That old you is dead. That person you knew before Christ, he's gone. So when I didn't get invited to the parties, that was okay. That old Jeff was dead. When I lost friends, that's okay. The new Jeff wouldn't like them anyway, right? Well, that old me, when he had to die, so that the new me could live. Some, some of you need to realize the old you is dead. Now, do I remember the sins of the old me? I certainly do. Do I remember the transgressions of the old me? I certainly do. But I also remember they've been washed in the blood of Jesus. I remember them, but I got some great news for you this morning. God doesn't. I remember them. But God of all creation, the great I am, he said, I'll remember them no more. At salvation, my debt was washed clean. At salvation, all that mess in my life beforehand, yeah, I still struggle with it. But it's cast as far as the east is from the west. Some of you need to wake up in the morning and remind yourself the old you, the old you is dead and he's not coming back we live by faith we realize the old is dead we realize that we've been made new we realize that we've been made new so god just he didn't just tell you hey the old new is dead he wants you to realize i've begun something in you now i've done something in you now you got the holy spirit you're alive now you didn't even know you were dead before but but now you're alive and you get to experience the lord jesus Fresh and new, you've been made new. Your, your name can be different. The apostle Paul got so saved, he had a name change. Everything about you was, was made new. The way you were thinking changed. The way you worship before you worship the world and you were a consumer to the world. You sat down at the buffet of sin and you just had a good time. He says, now I'm made new. Everything about me's changed. My personality changed. I got so messed up at salvation. I talked different. Everything about me went different. How I played sports was different. My life decisions were different. What I wanted to do for a living became different. Where I lived became different. Not because I just wanted to be different. Because God started to work in me and I became new. Anybody been new before? Sometimes we think back and man, that was a long time ago. But he's still doing something in you. He's still doing something in you. The work of God has no expiration date. He's still doing something in you. We realize that we trust Jesus with everything. We trust Jesus with everything. Everything. Our money. You know, easy, Pastor. Whoa. Whoa. You know God wants to be the God of your checkbook too? Come on. God wants to be God of your house. You don't like this one. God wants to be God of your refrigerator. 
God wants to be God of every facet of your life. He wants to be God of your tongue. He wants to be God of your job. He wants to be God of your family. He, he wants to be God of all. Jesus didn't get in the business of leasing. He didn't want to be compartmentalized in your life. He wants freedom in the whole place. And when we set our eyes and our affection on Jesus, we make him Lord of all. We make him Lord of all. Some of you today need to declare with with your voice that Jesus is Lord of all. Some of you today, you're struggling because you've been holding on and God's saying, let go. Let me have it. why, Why can't our finances ever get in order? Because you need to turn it over to the Lord. Why are we in debt up to our eyeballs? Because you live under the presence and the sin of the world and you hadn't turned that over to the Lord. Trying to figure out why your family's a mess. You need to turn it over to the Lord. You go to the library in Pinson. You can go to any bookstore. The biggest section of books in any bookstore, self-help. Some of you need to stop helping yourself and you need to turn it over to the Lord. You can't get it right because you're holding on to it. Because you're holding on to it. What has man made that's bigger than God? Nothing. Oh, that we would turn our eyes to Jesus and we'd look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth would grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Stop holding on to your mess. The Apostle Paul is declaring that when Christ died, our sin life died with him. Oh, my friend. And three days later, three days later, when the ladies went to the tomb to go roll back the stone to put spices on the body of Jesus, and the angel appeared and said what? What did the angel say? He ain't here. Why, Why are you looking for the living among the dead. Woo! In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're made new. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you and I are made new. So that old life is dead, that new life is here. Our eyes, our affection, our life are now on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Will you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, we gather before you with our eyes and our affection bent towards you, begging you, Father, that you do a work here today, begging you, Lord, that you call someone to salvation today, that you call someone to that freedom. God, may they experience that the burden of all that has been set before them, the chains of sin have been released, and at the salvation of Jesus, we become new. God, we beg, we beg for those struggling with their salvation that they would find hope in you. They'd find forgiveness in you. They'd find deliverance in you. May they stop wondering. May they stop searching. May they hold fast to the good news of Jesus Christ and let you be enough for them today. Father, for those who need releasing of sin, God, we know you're bigger. We know you're stronger. Sin has no power over you today. So, Father, we're trusting you that you would be the chain breaker that families need today. For those that have been holding on to their life with clenched fists, 
May today they realize the freedom that they have in releasing because you're the best steward of all. God, forgive us when we try to be you. Forgive us when we try to be Lord of all because we're insufficient. But Father, you are sufficient today. So God, we give you this invitation. We give you our lives. We're trusting a work from you today. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Will you stand with us this morning? If God's called you.